Would you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11? We'll be looking at verses 33 to 36 this morning. Romans 11, verse 33. Paul writes, O the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to Your Scripture this morning, we thank You for Your Holy Word. It guides us, it instructs us, it teaches us about You and about Your ways. It shows us the plan of salvation and how we can come to know You. It gives us insight into what You are doing in our lives and in our world. And this hymn of praise that Paul writes here is just so amazing when we think about who You are and Your knowledge and Your wisdom and the way in which You work. Father, I pray today that You'd give me the words to be able to express this as best as I can, as clearly as I can. But I pray that more than that, by Your Holy Spirit, You would open our eyes to see the wonder and glory of who You are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is a mixture of highs and lows. Sometimes they happen in the same day, don't they? There are days when things seem to be going really well, you know, and and things just fall into place. Maybe you got the job or you got the raise that you were hoping for. Or maybe the test results came back and they were good. Or you had an unexpected surprise in your day. Or or you heard about a friend who accepted Christ as their Savior. Or uh, some good news came in the mail and you were excited about that. And those are great moments that encourage all of us and we need that. But we also know that in life there are those days when things don't go quite as we plan. We get to work and our computer has crashed. And you're like, oh boy, what am I going to do today? Or the car repairman calls and says that the bill is going to be a little higher than what you expected. Or you find out at home that, uh, you know, your wife says that the washing machine is not working today and it needs to be fixed. Maybe when you were getting out of your car you slipped on the ice or you did get word that the test results were not quite as good as you had hoped for. There are highs and lows that come to all of us in life, and the question really is, how do we handle them? How do we deal with those things that come our way? And do we bring them to God and trust Him in the midst of both the good times and the bad? When I look at the Apostle Paul, one of the things that I admire about his life is just his consistency. His consistency and his unshakable faith, his confidence in God in spite of the circumstances that he was dealing with. Paul could praise God whether he was dealing with adversity or prosperity. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, he said this when he wrote about what God had taught him. He said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how Paul could express that when we think about our own lives and maybe the way that we deal with highs and lows and when we think about the things that really discourage us. 
What's our attitude like at those moments? How do we respond to God? And do we trust Him? The key to Paul's consistency and joy was his relationship with Christ. I mean, that's what kept him going in spite of the adversity and the difficulties and the trials and the persecution even that he experienced. He had that unshakable confidence in Christ and that God was in it. And because of that, Paul could break forth into praise in different moments in his life. I mean, it didn't matter whether he was in a prison cell He could praise God and worship Him. Or whether he was in a service with a group of believers who loved Jesus Christ and they could rejoice together, he had learned this secret of being content in any and every circumstance. And Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, are an example of Paul's confidence in God and his praise. This is a doxology. It is a hymn of praise for God's wisdom and knowledge. And he just he's going along in Romans and he just breaks forth into this glorious statement about who God is and the way that He works in our life. Why is it here? Why is it at this place in the book of Romans? And what can we learn from this text? Well, that's what we're going to wrestle with today. I believe that one of the things that the Scripture is trying to tell us here is about worship. That worship is a response of the heart to the character and activity of God in our life. Worship is a response of the heart to the character and activity of God in our life. It is normal for the believer to want to praise God. It's as normal for a believer to want to praise God as it is for a sports fan who goes to an athletic event to want to cheer. You know, if you're a football fan or a soccer fan or a baseball fan, you know, and and you're cheering for the home team and there's a great play, it's just natural to want to stand up and cheer. And in the same way for a believer, when we see God working in our church or our community or our life, we want to praise Him. You know, I came this morning and I see the white rose and I go, All right, that's great. There's another person who's come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Or I look in the bulletin, you know, and I see the report there on the finances, and I go, God, you are so good. Thank you for your generosity to us as a church, and help us to use that well. When we hear about what's going on in people's lives, or we see answers to prayer, it's just natural for us as believers to want to praise God. And if that isn't happening, well, then there's something we ought to check out in our life, or our attitude, or our heart. Why did Paul praise God here in this passage? Well, I want you to think about the book of Romans so far and how it lays out. The book of Romans, if I could give you an overview of what we've gone through, it begins with man's failure and sin in chapters 1 to 3. And it tells us that all of us have sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. That's the problem, the basic problem of man. And then it teaches us God's plan of salvation in chapters 4 and 5, that we are justified, we are saved by grace, through faith. It's not by works that we do, it's not by our own goodness or merit. It's because of what Christ has done for us in dying on the cross for our sins. It tells us how we can overcome sin. Once we have come to place our faith in Jesus Christ, 
It tells us to count ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. And it instructs us in how we should walk with God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's in chapters 6 to 8. In chapters 9 to 11, Paul shows us how God is at work in salvation history. How He worked both through the Jews and through the Gentiles to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's what he's doing now in our age and generation. And we are a part of that great movement of God's Holy Spirit. And because of all these things, he he pauses here when he marvels at God's wisdom and plan for the ages. And he shares this doxology of praise in verses 33 to 36. And then he will go on in chapters 12 to 16 to end with some instructions in Christian living. How this should affect our life on a daily basis. Now that pattern's not new for Paul. Paul also does that in the book of Ephesians, for example, where the front half of the book is doctrine, teaching us about who we are in Christ and what He has done for us. And then in the middle, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, there is that doxology of praise. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. He praises God for what He can do. And then chapters 4 to 6 are instructions in Christian living about our relationship with Christ, about the church, about marriage and family and work. And it lays out like that because what we believe about God matters and it shows up in the way in which we live. What we see in these letters of Paul is this, that good theology leads to great worship and great worship leads to godly living. Good theology, understanding the Scripture and what Paul is saying in the Word or what the Bible teaches about God, about salvation, about Christ, about man, about our life and our actions in the world. When you understand that, it leads to great worship and praise for who God is. And when we worship and praise God and give Him our life, that leads to godly living. One flows right into the other. Another way to say it is, when we get our head right and our heart right, we live right. And that's really important. In fact, next week when we go to chapter 12 and we look at verses 1 and 2, that's what that's all about. It's about offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, getting our heart right. It's about being transformed, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind getting our mind right. And then what flows from that are the practical instructions on godly living. And you can't short-circuit the process. We need to understand what the Bible has to say in order for us to live in a way that pleases Him. So what is Paul saying about God? What is he praising Him for in these verses? In verse 33, he praises God for the depth of His riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. He tells us here that God's wisdom and knowledge are limitless. It has been said that knowledge is the accumulation of information. That's what we try to do when we go to school or read or learn from life experiences. We are accumulating knowledge and information. Well, wisdom is knowing what to do with it. Wisdom is knowing how to use that information correctly or wisely. And God's wisdom and knowledge 
are limitless in both areas. He knows everything completely. I mean, there's no surprises with Him. He knows everything about you and about me, about our world, about our universe. He knows it completely, and He knows how to use that information wisely. His judgments are unsearchable. I liked how one of the commentators put it, that word for judgment here, it's not a reference to His judgment like at the end of the age when we will stand before Him and He renders a verdict on our life. Uh, The word here for judgment expresses more His executive decisions, if you will. The decisions that He makes simply because He is God about how the world functions and His plan for the ages and His purposes for our life. They are perfect, and they are more than what we can figure out with our limited knowledge. In fact, His paths are beyond tracing out. On the front end, when we are going through difficult circumstances in our life, we don't know what God may be doing. We don't know what He might want to accomplish. Uh, Even when we look back, we can see part of it, but we don't see all of it. Because God is accomplishing so many more things through the circumstances of our life than we even realize. He gives us a glimpse, but it's not until heaven that we will see the whole. You know, when I first met uh, Dan, when he came into my office, you know, I thought their story is just a marvelous example of how God works in our world and in our lives. And Dan came in, and I didn't know him, and he's sharing about where he's from and what he's doing here working at Hazleton, and he tells me he's from Romania. And I'm thinking about, you know, friends when Gail and I were on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ in New England. uh, One of the members of our staff team there were Al and Mary Ginter. And they left there to work in Romania. And they went to Romania. This was in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, when it was still a closed country behind the Iron Curtain. With Campus Crusade, we called it Bud's area because Bud Hinkson was the director there, and everybody knew what that meant. That was Bud's area. And if you were going to work there, we knew it was really secret. And, you know, we had to pray about it, but we didn't know a lot of information. And Al and Mary Ginter went to work in Bud's area. And I asked Dan if he knew Al and Mary, and, and, and he said, No. You know Al and Mary? <laughs> and, and he said, We knew them as Greg and Marcia, which I kind of chuckled at because that was back when the Brady Bunch was on television. <laughs> and uh, they took these names as, you know, the television characters, easy to remember. And so they are Greg and Marcia, and they're working in Romania. And to hear the story of how, um, you know, at that time for the training, they would meet in secret locations in a home that was safe or out in a woods or area like that where they could meet and worship and pray. And here Al and Mary were part of the training for Dan. And uh, when I emailed them and told them that they were, Dan and Alicia were here, you know, they were amazed at that and how God works as well. And uh, looking forward to meeting Alicia sometime too. And then as Dan's going on and sharing his story, and I said, well, tell me about your wife and how did she come to faith in Christ? And, you know, he's telling me about uh, uh, meeting her and that she's from Ecuador and sharing this story. And he's saying that there was this woman who had had a Bible study and her name he thought was, at first I think he said Gloria Swanson. And, uh, you know, I'm like, Swanson, Swanson, I know that. Because I know on Pat and Sherry's side of the family, Wally Swanson, they were missionaries to Ecuador for many years. And I said, I can't verify it, but um, 
you know, I'll have to ask Pat and Sherry, but I think there might be a connection on that side too. And he's like, no, really? You know, and, and so when, it, when we did verify it, that it was Pat and Sherry's aunt who was the one who had led this Bible study, I thought, wow, that's really amazing how God works and can bring people together. And Dan this morning was telling me his reaction. You know, when he came here, saw Lindstrom, 3,000 people. Center City, 500 people. I mean, is there going to be anybody we know here in this small community out in the middle of Minnesota in a rural area? And it's amazing how God can work and bring people together. And who knows what God is going to do through our experience here, but we want to encourage and pray for them and support them. And uh, I'm excited about the work that God has called them to that's very important in Romania. You know, Pastor Ron and Karen are going through a similar walk of faith right now. I could share a brief update on what's happened for them, where sometimes the best laid plans of men take a turn. You know, Ron has stepped down from his position here to work with TNET International in a closed-access country on the other side of the world. Uh, He's still going to do that, but here's what's happened. Uh, TNET was counting on a large gift from a large uh, from a donor that was going to give a large stock gift to TNET that would underwrite his salary. Well, because of what's happened in the market and the downturn, that gift hasn't come through, and so there's not the support for them for their salary. So Ron needs to raise more support, and he also needed to get another job to provide for their family. And he has been called and accepted an interim pastor position at the Evangelical Free Church in Alexandria. And they'll be moving up there, and Karen's going to be leaving her position here. And Ron's going to start in April, and then she will uh, move up there in, in May. And in the meantime, that church has, is very supportive of Ron doing the trips overseas to this closed-access country where he'll be. And I, I say that because our messages are taped, and you know what I'm talking about. But... um. You know, he's going to continue the mission and the work that God's called him to, but it's just taken another route as God provides for them. And I have no doubt but that Ron's going to be used by God and that church in Alexandria and be a blessing there. And we're going to continue to pray for and support him. But again, on the front end, we don't know. Why did it take this twist or turn? Or who are these people that he's going to connect with? And how is God going to use that? But when we look back, it's when we begin to see how all of these strands weave together and how God works in amazing ways. Our church is going through one of those times too with these transitions. And on the front end, you know, sometimes people get a little anxious and go, you know, how's this going to work out? And there's going to be change and there's going to be new people on staff and what's that going to be like? And yet God is still the same God, isn't he? You know, he's still on his throne. He's still sovereign. He still has a plan for us. This is his church. It's not ours. It's God's church. And he is sovereign over what he's doing. And I'm personally, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how all of this is going to work out. And I have tremendous confidence in God and his plans for us. Our part is to listen and to obey. It's to pray, it's to come before God humbly and to ask and seek His will, and then it's to trust Him and obey what He asks us to do each step of the way. And if we will do that, He will lead us and guide us. That's how theology and confidence in God make a difference in our life. 
You see, that's the second point that I want to make from this, that good theology and great worship changes our attitude. It changes our perspective. When we look to God with confidence and we understand who He is, that He is unchangeable, He is eternal, He is loving, He is good, He is all-powerful, He is at work for good in our life, we can trust Him. When we worship Him, it lifts our eyes off of ourselves and puts them on God, and it changes the way we look at the world. One of my favorite uh, speakers, when uh, we were uh, growing in our Christian faith, and back in those years from college and beyond, was a man named Howard Hendricks, who uh, taught at Dallas Theological Seminary for many years. remember the time he was talking to a student, and he asked him how things were going. How are you doing? And the student replied, well... You know, I'm doing pretty well under the circumstances. And how he boomed back, well, what are you doing under there? (laughs) And that was was Howie with his wit, you know. What are you doing under those circumstances? You're not supposed to be there. And he would encourage us to put our eyes on the Lord and to lift them up and remember who God is. Because good worship and good theology will change the way we look at the world. The more we know about God, the more we trust Him. The more we trust Him, the easier it is to deal with the highs and lows in life and to walk through them with confidence because God is God. And in this passage, Paul asks three questions that come from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 40 and from Job 41. And these questions are this. You know, he asks, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who can claim to know the mind of God. Can any of us? I mean, God is infinite and we are finite. God's eternal. We are not. We are creatures. God is all-powerful. We are fragile and weak. God sees it all. His knowledge is limitless. He knows all the details of what is going on in our world. And we see only a part. So who are we to think that we can understand and interpret the mind of God and pass judgment on what He is doing? How can any of us claim to know that? We only know what God has told us in His Word. And what He reveals to us by His Holy Spirit is He works in our life. Paul asks, secondly, who has been His counselor? I mean, God doesn't need our advice. You know, He's not looking for us. We weren't there when the worlds were made to say, you know, I think you ought to move that planet over here a little bit more or that solar system over there or this or that. God knows it all. I remember what Bill Bright said as he was dealing with this terminal illness that would eventually take his life. When he was asked about, you know, what he was praying for and is he asking God to heal him or change the circumstances of his life and he humbly said, you know, If God can run the universe without my suggestions, He can take care of me. And He knows what's best for me. And I will trust Him. It was an example of that same kind of unshakable faith in Jesus Christ and in God's goodness and love. And He is a reason for these circumstances of our life. Paul again asks, Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? I mean, does God owe anyone anything? It all comes from Him. Everything we have comes from God. David expressed that when the people of Israel were bringing their offerings for the temple and they were bringing gold and silver and bronze and all the precious materials that they could for the building of that temple. 
And David offered this prayer in 1 Chronicles 29 when he said that everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. It's all yours, God. Everything that we give back to you, it's a gift of your grace. God is no man's debtor. Our life, our talents, our intellectual abilities were all gifts of His grace. We didn't fill out a form on where we wanted to be born or what family or what privilege or positions. God was sovereign over all of that too. And everything that we have comes from Him and is to be given back to Him in His service. And His ways are just so much greater, so far beyond our ways. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And perhaps the greatest demonstration of that all was seen in the life of Jesus Christ, who came to earth humbly as a baby born in a major. Is that the way we would have drawn it up? Probably not. And God did that so that Jesus Christ might come and become like us and suffer and take upon Himself our frailty, our humanity, our sins when He died on the cross for us. And when Paul looked at the greatness of God, he just overflowed in praise. I mean, and that's why Paul and Silas could praise God from a prison cell while they are in shackles, in chains. And they could be singing hymns to God in the middle of the night. It's why the believers in Acts 4 could rejoice in spite of persecution. In fact, they could praise God that they had been allowed to suffer disgrace for His name. That's a different perspective than the world has, isn't it? You know, we don't know how all of the highs and lows in our life weave together, but God does. And again, one day He may show us the whole plan. And we will see that tapestry, if you will, of the dark threads and the silver threads and all of those things. We'll see it from God's side that looks so beautiful in how it is all put together. Thirdly, good theology and great worship makes much of God and less of us. Now, I want you to hear me correctly when I say that. I am not saying that we should walk around saying, you know, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, you know, and just kind of, you know, remind ourselves that we're lowly creatures. No, the Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. Man has great dignity and worth because we are made in God's image. And every life is precious to Him. And it is why He sent His Son to die for us, because He loves us and cares about us. But we are not the center of the universe. And man is not the measure of all things. God is. And it's all about Him. And it's for His glory. And Paul declares here this beautiful statement in verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Now what is he saying there about God? He is declaring that God is the source. Everything comes from Him. God is the Creator. He's our provider. He is the source of life. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. 
I mean, think about it. There was a time before the worlds were made, before the universe was made, in eternity past, when there was nothing but God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Enjoying perfect fellowship, perfect unity, perfect love, complete, all-sufficient in Himself. He did not create this world because He had any need in Himself. And He was there. And there was perfect light and brilliance. There was joy. There was happiness. There was that fellowship that God experiences in that triunity. When we think about it, that's amazing. And then God chose to create the universe. And He spoke, and the worlds came into being. He just said the Word, and it was there. And there was a day when God chose in His counsel to make man. And He said, let's make man in our own image. And so He created us as male and female. And He placed man in that garden, the world in which He had made. God did all of that of His sovereign, free will, And He has a plan for us and for our world. But He alone is God. And He's the reason we exist. That's why Paul goes on to say that not only from Him are all things, but also through Him are all things. God is the sustainer of everything. He holds the universe in His hands. He holds our life in His hands. And it's only by His grace that we exist. It's only because God this morning said, you know, I want all those molecules and Rick Stangeli to hold together one more day. It's the only reason I'm here. It's because God is sovereign in that. And He sustains each one of us. And He gives us His life and His breath. And He tells us that all things exist to Him. That God is the goal. He's the object of our faith. He's the one that we live for. He's the one that we are going to see one day. To Him be the glory forever. That's it. That's how all of life is to be lived for His glory. Whatever we do for our work or vocation, we are to do it for His honor and glory as serving the Lord and not men. If we're a student in school, we're to do our best to serve God and to honor Christ. If we are a citizen of the state and nation in which we live and we are, then we are to honor that state or nation in a way that honors God and fulfill our duties. If we look at the resources that we've been given, our talents, our finances, whatever we have, we are to use that in the way that God directs for His glory. That's at the very heart of the Christian life. That we all belong to Him and it all belongs to Him. You know, I was talking with a man in our church this week about worship, and we were talking how often when people think about worship, they think about worship being the music part of the service, that that's worship. But all of life is to be an act of worship when it is lived right in honor to Him. And our work becomes an act of worship, our study becomes an act of worship, our relationships can be an act of worship. In fact, I love this line. Pastor Dan told me this, that Martin Luther used to say when the service had come to an end, he'd say, the service has ended. Let our worship begin. And as you leave today, let your worship of God begin in the way that you live your life this week. Good theology leads to great worship. 
and great worship leads to godly living. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. You are awesome. You are glorious. You are holy. You are immortal. You are perfect in all of your ways. And yet you care for us. God, that is just so amazing to think about, that you know the details of our life, and you have a plan and a reason even why we are here in this community, in this place, at this time in history. And Father, I pray that you would use our lives to the fullest to touch others, to be a part of your kingdom expanding and bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, to share in some small way through our prayers, our offering, our service, to be a part of what you are doing. And one day to see on the other side how glorious your pattern has been in our life. And how maybe our life in some way touched someone else that touched another that touched another. And you use that to bring those people to Christ. Father, we want to live for your glory and honor. Help us to do that as we leave today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.